1: Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dersham and I want to begin by wishing you and your families a warm, wonderful 4th of July weekend. Remember, this is one of those holidays that actually falls on Sunday this year. But not to fear, that just means we celebrate it on Monday. So do what you need to do to research where you work where you plan on going and what is and isn't going to be open this is one of those holidays that yes we do celebrate even if it is the day after um also we want to always wish you a safe fourth of july weekend because we all know much can go wrong when uh, people are out there drinking and partying and shooting off fireworks please make sure everything is lawful and legal Um, We have a lot to talk about today that actually is not related to the 4th of July. It's almost hard to, to keep up with the news as it comes down the pike. But one of the headlines that had most people talking this week, at least in some sense in terms of being surprised, was the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturning Bill Cosby's conviction his sex conviction. Remember, he's been in jail for about three years. The octogenarian, 83 years old, formerly known as America's dad, had been serving a sentence that was supposed to span between three and 10 years uh, for his conviction. In a stunning reversal of fortune, he is now a free man on a procedural issue. Um, Larry, have you been following this and were you surprised to hear about what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did in this case?
2: Totally surprised, Wendy. I I was so sad uh, to find out that he had done these things. I mean, everybody loved Bill Cosby; he's such a funny guy. And mm. then to, for that side to come out, and uh, then I'd kind of forgotten about it because he's been he's been away for a while. But yeah, I have been following it. Uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court said that the District Attorney Kevin Steele who made the decision to arrest Cosby was obligated to stand by his predecessor's promise not to charge Cosby. So I think that was part of the decision. So it's just amazing how he's out now and uh, apparently he wants to go back to performing. And uh, one of his spokespersons says he's got a story to tell and I'll bet he does.
1: I'm sure he does. But remember, he has been telling his story for years, and the evidence, at least according to what the jury believed, did not support his side of the facts, even though he didn't testify during the trial. One of the things that people have to remember is this reversal was not based on the merits. It was based on procedure. In other words, the the Supreme Court did not review and reevaluate the strength of the women testimony that testified at the trial instead as you say they questioned the validity of the trial proceeding to begin with and decided that Mr. Cosby detrimentally relied on a prior DA's uh, promise although it wasn't in writing but his assurance that Cosby wouldn't be be, uh, prosecuted and it was on that basis that he gave incriminating statements in a deposition in a civil case which were then of course as we all know now in retrospect used against him in a criminal case. If anybody wants to know exactly what happened, the the opinion really sets out what the court looked at, looks at their analysis, looks at the statements made by the former DA, as well as their larger context in order to make those tough decisions that they needed to make to finally come up with their, their ultimate decision that Mr. Cosby shouldn't have been prosecuted to begin with. One thing that the former DA that prosecuted him, as well as um, a lot of the victims and witnesses, and really everybody with a with a stake in the case, whether they knew Mr. Cosby or not, is nobody wants this in any way to dissuade sexual assault victims from coming forward. They should remain encouraged, empowered, inspired by the brave men and women that were involved in this case, whether it was as a bystander, as a witness, as a lawyer, or the women that accused Mr. Cosby directly. Remember, oh, sometimes they, these women appear on, on magazine covers. Um, this ruling also doesn't set precedent for other cases like Harvey Weinstein or uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, because this was a very unique set of facts that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court had to work with. And Larry, as, as a lawyer, I mean, you and I both know that simply because Mr. Cosby dropped off the radar, dropped off the grid, obviously he went into custody, that the lawyers had to have still been working very hard behind the scenes in order to file the briefs and motions that led to last week's result.
2: Oh, 100%. I'm sure they were working very hard on that. And another interesting aspect of this is the reaction in Hollywood. And just a couple of tweets, this actor or actress, Amber Tamblin, she said she was furious to hear the news. And she runs an advocacy group called, uh, it's called Time's Up, uh, to protect uh, people who are victims of sex crimes. And she said I personally know a woman who this man drugged and raped while unconscious. Shame on the court for this decision. But on the other hand, uh, his co-star on The Cosby Show, her name is Felicia Rashad. She said, finally, a terrible wrong has been righted and miscarriage of justice is corrected. So you're really getting some heated uh, responses from on both sides on this issue.
1: You know, it's true. And I think that uh, a lot of people what one emotion, I suppose, that many people had in common was surprise. They didn't see this sort of thing coming. Um, But you and I know that the lawyers were working behind the scenes. I mean, think about it. Cosby was just denied parole a month ago. Yes. So it's not like he has been uh, out of court consideration. Um, And it's also true that many people, once they read the ruling, at least understand they're more disappointed. They're not blaming uh, the court for doing their job but they're disappointed based on the uh, on the conviction being a sense of justice delayed, does not have to be justice denied right. for the sisterhood of Cosby victims. Um, and remember the second trial, many people forget that this was the second trial. The first trial of course was a hung jury, it was mistried. Um, in the second trial, five former accusers were able to come forward and testify uh, as to what Mr. Cosby did to them. And then of course we had that very incredibly damning uh, testimony that he gave in the deposition about giving quailudes to women. So putting it all in context, you know, we hope that victims continue to come forward, even if the person they're accusing is a celebrity. There's no such thing, or at least there shouldn't be as celebrity justice being any different because you and I and our listeners know lady justice is blind. Absolutely. So uh, one of the other things we want to talk about today uh, really has to do maybe sort of a a preview for some of the other types of news that is coming down the pike. Um, Larry, there's a couple other stories in the news today that you're going to cover, right?
2: Right. It was kind of a little bit of a commentary. So I exempt the station and you for uh, my thoughts on this. But, you know, I like to look at Google Maps. And sometimes when I'm going to a restaurant or a business, I'll see the street and the address and I say, where is that? So I like to zoom out to see the destination. And for example, I'll zoom out and I can see the freeways and I'll zoom out and I'll see the city and then even the ocean. And I say, oh, yeah, now I know exactly where I'm at. Well, we often need to look at current events the same way. We we need to, uh, as they say, see the forest for the trees or better yet to see the full picture of what's happening so we can try to make sense of it all by kind of zooming out and getting the overview. So my topic today is, is our free society becoming a police state? And I don't know if you remember this, folks, of Barack Obama's pronouncement just a few days before he was elected in that historic election. He said in that quote, we are five days from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Of course, one would ask, what do you mean by transforming America? There's a lot that you could uh, make out of that statement. And then George Soros, uh, this is a quote that you can find. He said, the main obstacle to a stable and just world order is the United States. Not so subtly implying that the U.S. with our freedoms and our capitalist system is an impediment to obtaining a globalist new world socialist order. And then, of course, we can't uh, forget about our friend Klaus Schwab, who's the president of the World Economic Forum, who proclaimed that in the future, no one will own anything and be happier for it.
1: Yeah, I remember that we talked about that last statement. Um, I mean, people have been talking about that uh, a lot lately, especially in light of the very divisive nature of the issue to begin with. Ideologically, people are very torn between what they would like to see happen in this country. Um, And given that, you know, these are obviously just your opinions, but nonetheless, uh, you base them, do you not, on a chronology of events that has some significance for you.
2: Exactly. And so then we go on to 2019, the China virus hits. We begin to see it on the news. We see people, um, the city of Wuhan, China, shut down. And then it makes its way to America in, um, I think it really hit in the end of January. And uh, a lot of people think that that's a virus that either on purpose or accidentally leaked out of a communist Chinese uh, bioweapons lab in Wuhan. And then the lockdowns happened, taking it from Rahm Emanuel's playbook. Never let a serious crisis go to waste. Where basically we've locked down, and now they're giving so many of our people uh, so much money from the government that they don't even want to go back to work. In some cases, we've opened the border. We've got open borders, and we even tried to pass a "Keep the corrupt politicians in control forever" Act, which is better known as HR one and, and HR one. Is that
1: is that true? Lots of people would push back and say we don't have open borders. And we aren't going to be paying people indefinitely more money than they would make if they were working. Um, does the, and does it matter, I suppose, maybe more importantly? Yeah. I, or, or are you saying that's sort of the trajectory as to where we're headed? I,
2: I think that's the way we're headed unless we push back. And, and I know there are a lot of people pushing back against that. And then, of course, we had the unfortunate death of George Floyd, the radical protests, the burning down of uh, a lot of uh, buildings and so forth. So there's a lot to going on. So I think we just keep an eye out on what's happening. And, and this thing, they're trying to pin all this on white supremacy, Come on, white supremacy, we're the most racially friendly, neutral country in the entire world. Everybody wants to come here, everybody from all countries and all continents. And uh, so we, I want to keep an eye on what's happening with this. Uh, I hope they don't come up with a federal police force that would turn into a police state. And that's my concern. Well,
1: we will keep an eye on that set of facts and we will probably have more of your opinion in one of our upcoming segments. Um, but now we need to take a short commercial break, a, a bipartisan issue that we face here for a second. But please stick around for the second half. We have Chris Farrell, Director of Investigations and Research at Judicial Watch. You do not want to miss this. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We'll be back in a flash. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Uh, Larry, we have a very exciting guest with us for the second half. Who do we have on the line?
2: Uh, Sure, Wendy. Today we have with us Chris Farrell of Judicial Watch Chris joined Judicial Watch, and that's one of our nation's top government watchdog organizations based in Washington, D.C. He joined them in 1999 as the organization's director of investigations and research and is a member of the board of directors there. Chris is a native of Long Island, New York. And he was a distinguished military graduate from Fordham University with a B.A. in history. And after that, or after receiving his commission, he served as a military intelligence officer specializing in counterintelligence and human intelligence. Thanks for coming on the program today, Chris.
3: It's great to be with you. Thanks very much.
1: Chris, before we get into asking you about the work that Judicial Watch does uh, investigating, prosecuting government corruption, etc., um a little bit of history i understand you were instrumental in the establishment of a small private co-ed christian high school where you both taught and served as its director that is fascinating um what was that all about
3: well there was a a shortage of uh of that type of school outside of washington dc in a suburban area called prince william county it's about uh oh 45 minutes south of D.C., and there had been a very successful school in the uh, western portion of the county. There were folks over on the eastern portion of the county that wanted to create basically a mirror image school, so they had an established curriculum, and uh, so they just trying to do a, a cut and paste. The, the, the founding, the initial people who tried to get it up and running had a little couple of hiccups, and they asked me to come in and give them a hand. Uh, they thought that my my past life experience uh, as an army officer would be helpful uh, and it was <laughs> mm. and so we got we got it established we got uh, we got it up and running it uh, it was a, a great little institution that chugged along for a number of years and eventually uh melded into another sort of a merger of a couple of other schools but it was fun it was fun to get it launched and get the curriculum and get the teachers hired and the books and and get it up and running.
2: Hey Chris, I know that Judicial Watch was founded in 1994 for the purpose of ensuring government and judicial officials act ethically and don't abuse the powers entrusted to them by the American people. But could you tell us a little bit more about Judicial Watch, how it's able to deliver on those lofty goals? For example, does your organization bring lawsuits against officials who are found to be engaged in corrupt activities, or do you instead file lawsuits to expose the corruption then leave it to others to follow through and prosecute the law breaking that judicial watch has uncovered.
3: Well, we kind of do a little bit of both. There's a few different facets to this. You've touched on two of them with respect to public corruption issues. Um, So, you know, we're a government watchdog group. We don't have criminal indictment powers like a district attorney or a state's attorney does, but we can use civil litigation as a means to uncover, to uncover corruption we make very aggressive use of open records laws like the federal freedom of information act or FOIA and we also do it at the state level of course every one of the states and all the territories have their own sort of state level version of an open records law and also open meetings laws and so we very aggressively make use of those laws to get records and documents to uncover what what's really going on with government agencies and to educate the public about what the government is or is not doing and in the course of uncovering that sort of information uh, sometimes stuff kind of breaks loose you know you, you you end up through the civil discovery process you actually uncover uh, other corrupt practices or even criminal activity and so we've had great success in that regard uh, bringing our own litigation Uh, but then also uncovering things that other people then subsequently took up and and pursued.
2: Oh, great.
1: Okay. Chris, talking about checking all of that out, I understand that through your Open Records Project, Judicial Watch provides training and legal services to conservatives concerning how to effectively use FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, um, as well as other types of open record laws to achieve goals of accountability and openness in government and i dare i say those are often bipartisan goals everybody would like to know what what the government is doing and not doing but can you tell us a little bit how your process works
3: sure so what happens is uh you know there are various instances of situations where uh groups um advocacy groups or, or good government groups or just citizens organizations so have to they don't have to have a, necessarily a, a well outlined or defined agenda. They could just be interested citizens. Um, you know, want to know about a particular project or an activity or a program of government, and they, they don't know how to get there. They then they think they know what they want, but and they are kind of curious, perhaps even suspicious about about what's going on, and they they want to get to sort of the root or source uh, documentation. I sometimes, I may sound cynical, but I'll, I'll say that, you know, people lie and records don't, right? So right. it's sometimes a lot better to actually read the documentation than relying on the representations of somebody at a press conference. And so but we then we worry about with with the guidance. people that
1: wrote the records.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what we can provide is sort of... Uh, You know, advice on language and on how to make a request and who to file it with and what the process and procedure is. Um, You know, the, the open records laws themselves are pretty arcane, and it's a really kind of a specialized field to know how to kind of work your way through the maze. And sadly, it's been our experience over and over again that really very often the only time, particularly the federal government, pays attention is when we sue them. And I can tell you that no one in the country, no one, files more FOIA or open records requests than we do. There's been a study by Syracuse University for the past 15 or 20 years. And every year we, we end up being the top in both submission of requests and litigating uh, FOIA cases. And and the next three requesters combined don't equal The amount of work that we do and so just so you have an idea of scale uh, one of the next three requesters behind us is the aclu oh wow so we we're dominant in the field and we have a specialty and an expertise uh, bar none
2: Uh, chris judicial watch has a tagline because no one is above the law recently it's been reported Uh, that official military Twitter accounts have been used to attack Tucker Carlson and Fox News when he made uh, perceived negative comments about the U.S. military preparedness. And that a whistleblower actually came forward and alleged that the NSA is spying on Tucker Carlson and Fox News in the breach of the law. So how can we hold government entities such as the FBI, CIA, NSA accountable if they start breaking the law, which I hope they're not? What do we do?
3: Well, I, 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 I don't want to ruin your day, but I can assure you they are breaking <laughs> the law. And uh, I can say that from, uh, you know, I've been doing, generally speaking, kind of operating in the realm that I've been operating in you know, for the last 38 years. So I have great amount of experience in the world of, you know, both law enforcement with respect to being a special agent of Army counterintelligence, but also being a, an intelligence case officer, and then the last 22 years of Judicial Watch. I know what they do, and I know how they do it. And uh, you know, sadly, there's a, a very large number of people, and and you've met some of them. You know, James Comey and Peter Strzok, yes. and all yeah. those people from the Russia Russia hoax, right? They're household names. They're really they're thugs with badges, and uh, and that is not uncommon, unfortunately. And so when you hear that, uh, you know, elements of of the deep state or sort of the institutional government are spying on people in the media who are critical of them, no one should be surprised.
1: Wow. You know, one of the one of the very heartening things that uh, about our listeners and really about listeners and viewers on both sides of the aisle is the desire for information, um, which is partially, you know, in substantial portion what you're seeking to do as well. Um, I understand your organization has a monthly newsletter called The Verdict, a, very, a, a phrase very close to the hearts of Larry and I, both lawyers, um, but that people can subscribe to this and uh um can they google this and find out how to do it or is this something that's available from your website
3: well on our website you can certainly uh gain access to both the verdict um and all the references and resources uh that would get people to the to the right place uh with respect to open records requests but actually even all of our investigations every record and document we get we put online and so There's a treasure trove of of stuff out there, Uh, any number of different topics and stuff that we've pursued. So, obviously, over the last 18 months or so, uh, you know, COVID-19 and uh, Wuhan lab and everything, you know, the CDC and Fauci, and that's obviously been a top, top, top interest item for everybody. We've got, in fact, we just got another batch of records in last week. And we post everything we get up online, so your your listeners can can kind of go into a treasure trove of information there. Uh, but you know, it's it's not just a matter of the latest stuff in the headlines. It's it's other sort of resources. Like we take the financial disclosure forms of every federal judge in the country and put them online. Wow. Um, so if you're if if you have a case in front of a particular judge and you're wondering, gee, where his where's his money tucked away? You can go online. Well, see those financial disclosure forms. So,
2: Chris, that's JudicialWatch.org, right? Is that where people would go for that?
3: Correct. Okay. JudicialWatch, all together as one word, dot org, O-R-G.
2: Oh, perfect.
1: Perfect. Well, we want to thank you, Chris, for being on the show. You know, one thing that you've really um, showcased is... How easy it is to find out information about people. You know, we really don't look um, as far as apparently we're able to with many of the tools that we have. But in any event, thank you for joining us. And thank you to our listeners. Wishing everybody a warm, we already know that, but a safe and healthy 4th of July weekend and enjoy your day off on Monday. Please join us next week for more Today with Dr. Wendy, Headlines with a Silver Lining. Have a great week and God bless you.